Hello and welcome to another episode of CAD Live, this wonderful show where we are currently engaged in doing a book review. We are basically doing a, a book review of The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene, which is a very, very interesting, detailed and in-depth book about seduction, but not just seduction in terms of dating or getting together with uh, women or anything like that, but actually seduction in a, in a wider sense. So this is about basically how you can influence people, really. That's kind of what it comes down to. And I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jack Napier, who's come along for the ride, and we are going to be dissecting a couple of chapters. How are you, Jack? Doing very well, doing very well. Good afternoon to everyone, morning, wherever you are. Have you been, uh, Troy? Well, not too bad, not too bad. And listen, this show is slightly early today, so sorry for that, guys, and sorry for the late uh, heads up. So anybody who's watching now on live, thank you very much for coming along. Anybody who's watching on the replay, thumbs up. Uh, for the people who are watching this live, sorry this is a little bit early, but I have to go to the doctors later because I got bitten by a dog yesterday. <laughs> and um, as embarrassing as it, as it, as it seems, uh, I did have a little bit of an email chat with my doctor yesterday, and he said, well, you know to be on the safe side, maybe you should come in and we'll have a look and uh, maybe give you a, sh uh, a jab and stuff. So, um, so yeah. I'm that's, that's waiting for you to foam from the mouth, though. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Well, I might just turn into some kind of a, I don't know, rabid kind of, you know, wolf during the, uh, the broadcast. So if I do, uh, please do uh, call an like, like and subscribe. Especially exactly, exactly, exactly. All please the evidence do. later. Please do like and subscribe. Indeed. Uh, yes, that would certainly be great as far as an episode is concerned, but let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, so, yeah, today we're going to be continuing with the analysis of the art of seduction. Now, yesterday, what did we do yesterday? We did um, the coquette. The coquette. And we did <clears throat> And the natural. That's the one. We did the natural and the correct, and the, sorry, the coquette. And we were joined briefly by uh, John. Uh, of modern life dating, um, who popped in for a bit. And um, the Kakep in particular was really interesting yesterday, I think. We got into some quite deep stuff with that. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to be having a look at the Charmer and the Charismatic. And I don't know about you, Jack, but for me, again, it, it almost seems like to be alternate chapters. So we have an alt the first chapter is interesting, but perhaps less application for us personally. And then the second chapter... There's got loads and loads of juicy stuff in it. And that's kind of how I feel about these two chapters here. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of overlapping knowledge about these character traits as well. They all mm -hmm. lead into each other, but again, some are more relatable than others. Like the siren is more female, <clears throat> the uh, the natural is more female-ish, yeah, seducer type, and with this. You get the charmer and the charismatic, which mm, are a bit, how would I say that? Like, differentiate between the two could be difficult. But well, yeah, mm -hmm. I think both of these, to be honest, could apply to men or women. I don't think that it's particularly gendered in this, in this instance. Um, and I suppose you could argue that throughout the whole book if you want to be kind of more woke about it. But, um, but I think these in particular, these, this, this could apply to either gender. But I do think that the charmer, which is the first one that we'll have a look at now, is probably a little bit better when you apply it 
as a as a guy in sort of social situations, in work situations, in maybe political situations. I I feel like when I read this chapter, I thought this is a bit more like how to make how to win friends and influence people. It's 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 a bit more like that kind of thing. Would you agree? I agree with that. I always found Dale Carnegie to be the watered down version of Robert Greene. Well, it's kind of funny. Hey, uh, what is hip hop? Good to see you, man. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for you other guys as well. Adam, uh, Omit is here. David, uh, Mr. ENS, et cetera, oh, right. et cetera. So thank you. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. Is he on here? Yeah. We have him on the screen right now. Oh, there you go. Mr. Bullrush. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, Maverick from the Russian frozen wastelands. So thanks, guys, for tuning in and everybody else who's who's on here. Um, yeah, sorry. So what were we saying then? Do you um, Would you agree with me? That you were talking Dale Carnegie, actually, weren't you? Yeah, that Robert uh, Dale Carnegie is the watered-down version of Robert Greene, I always found. Because Robert Greene is very objective, as in most people are out there for themselves. Dale Carnegie was more like, no, 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 everybody wants to be happy and they want you to be happy. And you just need to learn um, – you need to learn to attract flies with honey and not vinegar. It's like what a, eh, what, a what a cuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm only a male. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm only joking. But um, I think I mean Dale Carnegie was the was the first because I think that his books were published. I don't even know what decade, but we're we're going back a bit now. And Dale Carnegie was one of the early sort of self improvement kind of guys. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Greene is somewhat later. I think his books are more like nineties to through to the present day, really. So. Uh, and yeah, you're right. I think Dale Carnegie is much more, it's a much more down home sort of approach, isn't it? It's like, hey guys, just 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 be nice. Remember their name. You know, that it's that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas Robert Greene, as we've said, is a little bit more, it's a little bit darker. Yeah, a little bit more ruthless, to, to be honest. I mean, he's a little bit more like, well, look, I, I think Robert Greene kind of sees life as a battlefield, really. And everything that he advises, everything that he puts forward in these books is, is look, these are the things you may not want to do these things, but these are the things that you sometimes need to do. If you're going to, to gain dominance in this rather unfair jungle of a, of a world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And what Dale Carnegie tended to do as well is um, put the emphasis on you giving others a negative feeling. Mm. But Robert Greene puts the emphasis more on, no, you've actually, uh, hurt their fragile ego that's what you need to worry about people are quickly jealous quickly envious instead of just not liking you there's a big difference between those two yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah because i suppose the objectives are, are are different aren't they really uh in both cases but look let's before we go any further let's read the introduction to the charmer so that we can give people a, a sense of where we're going with this so he says charm is seduction without sex charmers are consummate manipulators making their cleverness by creating a mood of pleasure uh sorry masking their cleverness by creating a mood of pleasure and comfort their method is simple they deflect attention from themselves and focus it on their target they understand your spirit feel your pain adapt to your moods in the presence of a charmer you feel better about yourself charmers do not argue fight or complain or pester what uh, could be more seductive by drawing you in with their indulgence they make you dependent on them and their power grows learn to cast the charmer's uh, spell by aiming at people's primary weaknesses vanity and self-esteem so 
he's using some somewhat contentious phrases there. He's talking about manipulation, which obviously we don't condone on, on this channel. And he's also talking about targets, which is, is a problematic word for, for some people. But nevertheless, fundamentally, what he's saying here is, look, if you want to influence people, the way to do it, as far as the charmer is concerned, is to is to not focus on you, to really focus on them, not to create conflict, um, and and really to to focus on their what he calls their primary weaknesses, which is their vanity and their self esteem. So, what do you think about that? Because again, I would say from a from the point of view of socialising and maybe doing well in things like political situations, work situations, I think this advice is bang on. Especially in work situations. Especially in work situations. Um, good example. Uh, how many times have you been in the workspace where you had a coworker who kept complaining about his own life and never asked even once how you were doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, many, many times. And listen, to be honest, um, you, you meet people like this the whole time. And sometimes I think I can probably be like it. And I have to check myself sometimes because I think about when I'm talking with friends and, you know, you call up a friend and you've got maybe an issue you want to discuss or a situation or what, you know, whatever, or you want some advice and you kind of call the friend and you're like, oh, you know, what about this? What about blah, blah, blah. And it's all me, me, me. And then you, you kind of have to check yourself and say, well, hang on a minute. That's this is not the right way to, to have a relationship with somebody. You know, you need to be paying an interest in them as well. So I think it's something that people do a lot. And, you know, we we need to just look at it in ourselves. And particularly like with people we're friends with, people we, people who are colleagues of ours, advisors, whatever, you know, there has to be give and take, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's my only problem with books like these. Not more people read it. But it's like you adapt to the situation you try to listen to people you are uh, want to be engaged in their interest and things like that but as you just said you're a human being you kind of long for that too but then you mm. find out most people aren't that charming most people are <laughs> very self-centered like jack keeps asking how everybody's doing but who asks jack like who asks troy you know it's like hmm. who asks troy <laughs> <laughs> well the dogs apparently well, I'm very popular with dogs in South <laughs> London. So, um, yeah, I mean, what a strange situation. I don't think I've ever been bitten by a dog before, even when I was a, a kid, as far as I can remember. I mean, it was only a little dog. It wasn't a big dog. You know, I'm not talking, it wasn't some sort of like, what was that film with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio? You know, The Revenant, when he fights that bear. Yeah, that was a bear. That was not Yeah, a it dog. wasn't like, like, I don't want to exaggerate here. It wasn't like that. Um <laughs> And it's only really, to be honest, I thought I thought maybe it, it had drawn blood and I was a bit concerned. And then I, I, I looked at my leg and it hadn't, I don't think, but the skin was definitely bruised. And I was a bit like, oh, what do you do? What do you do when you get bitten by a dog? It's like, you know, <laughs> so I called my girl and she was she's got dogs. And, I, and you know, she said, well, you know, probably be all right, but maybe you should get it checked out. Anyway, anyway, blah, blah, blah. I spoke to the doctor. He said, why don't you come in? So, you know, um, Let's see, but because uh, you need to have jabs for things, don't you? Tetanus and stuff like that. I, I don't even recall when I last had it. So yeah, I I think you do. I mean, I never had it either, but I was just surprised. I'm like, how many times have you been to torture dungeon? This couldn't be the worst thing that ever happened to you, man. Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't. Indeed, indeed. I mean, I I don't know really. I think you know sometimes you just need to get these things checked, I suppose. But there may be. Um, you know, get the jab and uh, I'll get the Bill Gates uh, microchip put in me prior to uh, everyone else. Which that I guess would be nice. That I'm would only be joking. Nice. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know you're joking. I know exactly. Joking. But, uh, but you have to be funny to be charming, you know? Like, you do. Well, ab absolutely, you do. Um, Humor is a big part of this, of course. So 
he kicks off the the chapter by actually talking about sexuality. So he is talking about this in a romantic sense. And he basically says that, and this reminds me a little bit of the coquette actually, because he says the Chalmers solution to the, the issue of sexuality within a relationship, because he says it can be disruptive because it stirs up emotion and so on, which obviously is true. And he says that the solution is to fulfill the aspects of sexuality that are alluring and addictive with focused attention, boosted self-esteem and pleasurable wooing, but subtract the, se the sex itself. So I, I, I suppose, actually, I need to reread that. Um, it's almost like what he's saying here is that the charmer, he, he's almost marking the charmer out as not being a, a, anything about sexuality or, or dating or whatever. He's almost saying the charmer is, is sort of wooing in the same way that um, a lover might but he's re removing the sex. And so that makes it something that applies within work situations, friendships, social situations, et cetera. Is, am I reading this right? Or Well, that's how I mostly interpreted it. Like you're charming someone that can be either male or female. And again, mm -hmm. what makes someone charming, which is very paradoxical. You'd think that somebody would be liked more for who he is, but people tend to be liked a lot for how much they let you be you. Yeah. And that's a bit of the strength of the charmer. As you can see, like in the beginning of the chapter, he sums up a bit of characteristics and number one, making make your, well, Robert Greene likes to use target then. So I'll just mm. read it from the book in and of itself, but make your target the center of attention. Now, yeah. said, how many times do humans have the um, tendency of putting themselves into the center of attention instead of their speaking partner? Mm, mm. Yeah, of course. And he so he then, as you say, he goes into some some facets of this. And the first one is making the target uh, the center of attention. And then he talks about uh, we'll, we'll go through them. But he says, be a source of pleasure, bring antagonism into harmony, lull your your um, the people you're targeting into a, full, a sense of ease and comfort, show calm and self-possession in the face of adversity, make yourself useful. So it's all pretty sort of it's all stuff that kind of we, we might have heard before in a self-help context, isn't it, in a way? Um, but it is very much stuff that I think really works. Because the, th the, the reality of it is, when you meet people who, who, who do these things to you, we do tend to like them. You know, when I get people, you get people who are interacting with you in different ways. And sometimes you'll get a person who interacts with you and they are actually very complimentary. And they're like, oh, I really like what you're doing. You're, you're, you know, I really like you're really strong in this area. This is what you do really well. Sometimes people do that. And I, I do find myself liking those people, you know. Um, now, whether they're doing it as a device or not, I don't know. But it, it really does work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, why wouldn't it? Mm. Why wouldn't it? And he brings up. In the beginning of, well, uh, let's see, where was that? That was here. Like, be a source of pleasure. Now, pleasure immediately brings up sensual ideas. But in this case, it is do not complain, do not hesitate, and just do. Like, yes. Don't you love those people where something needs to be done, and they don't ask questions, and they just do it? Like, mm. before you know it, they're gone. They're performing what needs to be performed. And then they're back and then they're like, oh, I fixed it. Like, no need to worry about that. Yeah. Problem yeah. solvers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's people who make your life easier, isn't it? But I think as a way of, of charming people in your life, this thing about, you know, focusing on them and also pulling out things that they do well and praising them for those things. I think this really works. And again, 
I mean, we could mention him in every, every bloody chapter, really. But I think John from Modern Life Dating is, is actually good at this because I remember when we were first interacting, he would say things like, oh, you know, I really like you, you did this. It was really cool. Or, you know, you're really strong at that. And, um, you know, like like it or, or not, that, that endears somebody to you because you like to hear that good feedback. OK, so I think as a networking thing, this is absolutely bang on. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. The well, only thing, no. the only, the only thing about this is you've got to do it in such a way that it comes across as, as uh, it's got to be genuine, or at least mm -hmm. it's got to come across as being genuine. Because if it isn't, I mean, what about the other side of this? What about the danger of this, which is when you just sound like you're sucking up? Well, that's mostly when somebody wants something from you, mm, mm. and people who don't know what they're doing when it actually comes to manipulating do that too quickly. Because most people, or how do I phrase it? Not even most people, but people who tend to be not sincere, like compliment you, and within the hour, they beg you for something. It's not even a mm. question. It's like, oh, I was nice to you. Why don't you do this for me? So yeah. that complete lack of tact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Well, I mean... Here's the thing, right? I think in many cases it can sort of fall somewhere between the two because I believe that we're all to some degree transactional, you know, like in a yeah. in a friendship, um, and maybe particularly in a space like ours where people are working together and things like that, because the people help each other out and we we do we work with each other and we do these different things. So, um, you know, yes, of course, on the one hand, people people want things from other people, but on the other hand, we all like each other as well. So it doesn't have to be, it's not one or the other. It's not like, okay, so it's just all about manipulating, you know, it's all about trying to get the thing that you want, whether that's a favor or somebody to, to promote your work or, or whatever. Um, so it's not, but it's, it's not all about that. But then also, but so the, so the friendship, so you can be genuine with people, but it also leads you to, to getting things that you want as well. And I, ideally, I think most relationships should be, should be win-win, right? You know, it shouldn't be one person doing all of the, the work and the other person taking all of the rewards. It, it should be, you know, you're both there mutually to, to, to give each other whatever it is you need. And that could be, that could be like a, you know, work favors, but equally it could just be emotional support or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes them charismatic. It's mm. uh, they're there for you too, without you needing something to offer them, which makes mm. them so charismatic because there's no quid pro quo sort to say maybe indirectly, but because of that, that in I, I do that with friends all the time. Like, yeah. Well, so they need something. I've already gone and got it. And it's like, why did you do that? It's like, because it's a small effort effort. Like, who cares? Yeah. It's done. Yeah. It's taken care of. No worries. Mm. Mm. And at a certain point, you just do that for each other. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question, isn't it? The degree to which all of our relate our relations with other people are to some degree transactional. Because even if even relations with 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 family members, I mean, we we want something from them in a very basic sense, in that we want their love, we want their affection, we want the comfort that comes with hanging out with them, spending time with them, right? But that's not is that a bad thing? I don't think that's a bad thing. That's that's natural, isn't it, to some degree. That is one of the deeper philosophical questions I have heard in this sphere. You're not the first one who asked it, by the way. I mean, not to rain on your sunny day, but I've heard it before, and it's still one of the deeper questions I still haven't completely answered. Because mm. is it really when everybody's looking for it? You know what I mean? I mean, we are social creatures. Yeah. We look for connection. 
we look for interaction, things like that. And it doesn't become transactional per se in, um, let's say, material goods or whatever, but more in emotional goods. But those emotional goods need to be of a certain value as well. Certain intellect could be, certain interest could be. So it's not something you do with everybody. It's not, well, girls <clears throat> do, by the way, these days. I mean, the girlfriend experience. Mm, mm. I, I wanted to say it's something that can be sold, but apparently it can. I mean, by God, man, women ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, when it comes to like friendships and things like that, are they transactional? Mm. On a very deep, logical way of thinking about it, yes. Mm. I mean, let's mm. be real here. Then, yes. But do we mind, and is the transactionality of it um, a problem? So, well, yeah. Like, short of phrasing it, is that a problem? Well, I don't think so, because everybody's needs are met, and we don't feel obliged. Mm. There's mm. no... And now I don't know what word I'm looking for, but I don't feel obliged to interact with my friends when I don't want to. Or, yeah. you know what I mean? It is... It's comfort that mm, I have mm, around them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and listen, I mean, every situation that you go into, whether it's a dating situation or, or a relationship or a friendship, you should be spreading positive vibes. I don't want to sound too hippish here, but you should be giving out positivity. It should be good for them and it should be good for you as well. It should be good for both of you. Okay. So every situation you go into, you know, you're not there to. It's unfortunate. I mean, he talks about manipulation here, but I don't agree with manipulation really in that sense. I th I, what I think is you should be, you both should be getting something positive out of this interaction, whatever it is. So yes, if you go and, you know, you make somebody the center of attention and you are a source of pleasure for them and you are in harmony and all of these different things, then yes, you know, that may get your needs met, fine. But... Mm -hmm. You know, another way of looking at it is that you are also doing positive things for them, which yeah. I don't. I don't believe is a bad thing. No, 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 absolutely not. And like, if you want a more pragmatical approach on this, like, let's say the Robert Greene version, where you say it is the victim, this works great during job interviews. Mm, mm. I have done that so many times where I divert the questions to them instead of me. Yeah. And it always ended up positive because it's like, oh, he's actually interested in us. He's not mm. just sitting here for him. He wants to know more about us, the company he <laughs> wants to work at, things like that. Yeah. Now, yeah. Was that manipulative? Maybe. Could be. I mean, I won't deny it per se, but I won't um, agree with it either because they need a new employee and I need a new job. And exactly. I, actually, I actually want the like to like the people I'm going to work with. So, of course, I'm going to be interested in them. Mm, mm. Exactly, exactly. And actually, that is one key piece of interview advice, isn't it, that you always get. You need to ask them questions. You know, you mm. don't want to just sit there and, you know, have them grill you and then go home. You've got to ask them questions because you've got to show that interest. Because if you're not interested in that company, then why should they really consider you seriously, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And isn't that an old negotiation tactic as well? He who asks the questions leads the conversation, something mm. like that. Yeah. I heard it years ago. Mm. But yeah, with job interviews and things like that, it does work. And with dating, I mean, let's say you're on a date with a girl and she brings up a certain topic. Hook into that. 
Like, tell yeah. me more about that. I want to learn more about that. And if there's one thing girls like to talk about, it's their own bloody interests. Mm. Yes, of course. So this is actually what I've always said, which is that guys, you should be, you, you need to have a deep interest in, in women and in other human beings in, in general, really. And if you don't, then that is a problem. Okay, and I mean a deep personal interest in them as individuals, right? Um, if you, like I say, if, that, if you don't, that's a, that's a problem. And sometimes you do get guys who will say, "Oh, you know, I'm dating these girls, gonna I get bored on the dates. So I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not interested in talking to them and stuff." And I, I always find that hard to believe because it's a bit like, "Well, look, I mean, there's got to be something interesting about her. She's an individual human being with interests and likes and her own experience of the world and." You know, everybody's got this multifaceted nature to them. So, so tap into that. Find out, you know, to have some curiosity. Because if you haven't, then, you, you, you know, it, it's just not going to go well for you. If she's really attracted to you, then, yeah, maybe. But but in general, it's not going to go well for you. No. Um, so you've got to be interested in other people. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. I mean, people yeah. wouldn't want to hang out with you. They don't find you charming at all. Because a lot of people say that charming is kind of... Um, kind of wooing them into it verbally or with good looks, whatever. That's not the case. I mean, I've seen a lot of ugly, horrible-voiced idiots being charming as hell because they are socially inept or socially capable mm. sort of thing. They know mm. how to bring you into a conversation instead of you always being out of it. Mm. Mm. They try to bring you into the social group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he goes on to give some historical examples. And one of the ones he mentions is uh, Disraeli and Queen Victoria and TLDR. Basically, Queen Victoria was a bit crabby and a bit, you know, um, not not the easiest person to, to get on with. And Disraeli went in there as prime minister and with a combination of flattery and making himself incredibly useful and being a source of pleasure as opposed to annoyance or whatever, you know, he won her over and they had a great working relationship. And so that's a really practical example of how this could work, not in a romantic sense, but just in a, in a, in a sort of business or work relationship, you know, and sometimes and particularly right with people who are difficult to get on with. Because, and we often encounter people who are hard to get on with, don't we? And we have to use some of these tools in order to to try to sort of to sort of bring them around. But I think the key problem that always manifests itself is lack of authenticity. And if you come over in a, in a sense that's not authentic, then that's going to be a problem, and they're going to realise that, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of uh, internet personalities have that as well. A lot of marketers too, salespeople. Mm. You just know they want something from you. Yeah, just, hey, you know, just scroll down and, you know, oh, yeah, get my that... six tips for, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's very fake, you know? Mm -hmm. I've done that in stores where I was just walking around and immediately some girls walk up to me and it's like, can I? I'm like, hold on, go away, you. Like, no. I never really, I, I never really know. Well, I do know why stores do that because obviously they want to try and make sales, and particularly at a time like this when you know, um, well, all the stores are closing in London, in London, to be honest. So it's not even an issue. But um, even before this, obviously they need to make sales because it's been a really terrible year last year and and everything else. So I get why there's this thing, right? Go and talk to every customer, engage with the customer, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, I, I have to say it just, it just kind of puts me off. You know, I just want to walk out of the shop because usually I just want to walk in the shop, have a look at the things um, and then make a decision myself. And 
so yeah, there's that sense of forced friendliness that I think mm. is really is is off putting for people and tricky for people. Mm. Like when I'm actually looking at something and I've walked around the store a bit, and then they come up to me with the question, like you, you kind of seem you can't find what you're looking for. Like, you need help. Then I'm like, yes, I actually do. But when I've just walked in and immediately she walks towards me, like, uh, I want to help you. What are you looking for? It's like, be gone, filthy heathen. Like, no, mm. I just want to look at things. Be gone. Harpy mm. was mm. the word I was looking for. Exactly, exactly. And uh, what is hip hop mentions Bill Clinton here. And I, actually, I think uh, Robert Greene yeah. references uh, Clinton in, in this section as well. So that's, uh, yeah, definitely. And um, somebody says, one of the most charming people ever. Um, famously so, famously charismatic. So yeah, that is true. Um, that yeah. is true. So and coming to the end of this section, he talks a bit about the dangers as always, and he says, "Look, I mean, there could be a sort of an immunity from very cynical people or very confident people, and maybe that's kind of what we're talking about here, because like we're we're all a bit cynical these days in a in a retail situation, aren't we? We kind of know they want to sell us stuff, blah blah blah, and it's like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever." So that's when the, the sort of fakeness, it, if you're doing it in a fake way, that's when it's not going to come across very well. Um, and he also says sometimes in, in difficult times, somebody who's just a charmer might seem a little bit insubstantial. And we might, you could argue, we perhaps you could argue that we're seeing that today with Boris Johnson in the UK, because Boris Johnson, to some degree, was a... Was a uh, some may regard him as a very charming individual. He kind of charmed his way into the job of prime minister. But now when there's some really serious stuff going on, there are people who are saying, well, actually, is this really the guy for the for the job? Do you know what I mean? Because charm and all of that is one thing, but we need something a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. Well, that could be said about a lot of American presidents as well. They were very <laughs> charming. But when you look at what they did when it came to policies or uh, drone strikes and things like that, it wasn't actually that charming, but mm, mm, they yeah. can conceal a lot with that charm. And I like Robert's, uh, at the end of the chapter as well, that symbol he uses to describe certain archetypes. Yes. And with the, um, with the charm, he then uses the mirror. Your mm. spirit holds up a mirror to others. When they see you, they see themselves, their values, their tastes, even their flaws. Their lifelong love affair with their own image is comfortable and hypnotic so feed it no one ever sees what is behind the mirror now you mm. might interpret that a bit manipulative but it is what it comes down to you reflect their own upon themselves as in what are they interested in mm. that's what we're going to talk about mm. that's what we're going to focus on what mm. happened to them today how are they feeling today yeah. i come later than yeah. first Exactly, exactly. And uh, I mean, look, just to finish this off, this section off, I we've sort of focused less on dating for this. But I mean, it, it's sort of a bit of a no brainer, really, that this stuff also applies in dating as well. Right. And it, it, people are coming at this from very different angles. And there might be some people who are actually very who are actually socially inept in some ways. And for them, this stuff is, you, you know, this is this stuff is 101 in terms of socializing, whether it's a date or anything else, right? This is the hook from day game. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. It yeah, is. Show genuine is... interest in the girl. Exactly, no, you're right. So um, 
so yeah, great stuff uh, in in that section for sure, and loads of tips that you know apply in all of these different situations. The next section though is the charismatic, which is one of my favourite sections, Same. and um, it's one of the sections that. Well, it kind of influenced me do, doing that charisma and dating course, to, to be honest, this section, because it's so it's so fascinating and so powerful. Um, so let's uh, let's just read the introduction first. So he says, charisma is a presence that excites us. It comes from an inner quality, self-confidence, sexual energy, sense of purpose, contentment that most people lack and want. This quality radiates outward. Uh permeating the gestures of charismatics, making them seem extraordinary and superior, and making us imagine there is more to them than meets the eye. They are gods, saints, stars. Charismatics can learn to heighten their charisma with a piercing gaze, fiery oratory, and an air of mystery. Learn to create the charismatic illusion by radiating intensity while remaining detached. And again, you've got that duality. It's that radiating intensity but also remaining somewhat detached we were kind of talking about that yesterday when we were talking about the coquette weren't we mm -hmm. like take it or leave it my life is awesome anyway exactly exactly and the very first sentence of the section he says charisma is seduction on a mass level and of course when we think of all those great rock stars pop stars hip-hop stars whatever politicians public figures speakers all of these people, they're, they're using seduction, but they're using it on this mass level in order to influence, you know, huge audiences, huge groups of people. But, of mm. course, this also works on the personal level as well. So this is really one of the key aspects. This is one of the key sections in this book, isn't it? To me, it was, in all mm. honesty. Like, I've... I don't even know when this happened. Like, during my teenage years, there was all of a sudden there was this shift where I was like, oh, so it really doesn't matter what i do does it like i can still get what i need it was in school this was like the grades and all that that didn't really matter behavior and things like that playing hooky like yeah as long as you did certain things you're gonna get what you want anyway and then i just made this total shift because i always wore nice blazers things like that got the leather jacket out got the tight t-shirts i was like fuck all y'all i'm doing what i want wearing sunglasses in class, things like that. And um, funnily enough, my um, student, student guidance teacher, whatever you call it, mm. we had a class from him. And uh, all of a sudden, the word charismatic came up as well. And he said, yeah, who could describe charismatic? And there was a girl who mentioned my name while oh, I was really? sitting there with my feet up on the desk. Really? Wow. Yeah, and then, then, then I had another classmate who said I was more of a narcissist than charismatic, but I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll take it. <laughs> Mate, you're, you're getting all of the brownie points. You're getting nah, all the brownie points. Fantastic. <laughs> and did, you end up, did you end up dating that girl, or, or, or was it... Uh... No, no, I didn't end up dating her. I had this thing with classmates where I was like, nah, let's not do it. Plus, the weird fact was, there was, was one of these girls who always had this vehement hatred of me. Mm. where she always had commented on what I did. Well, apparently she liked me now that I think back on it. She, she keep wanted my attention. But I do knew what she meant, where I just walked in, was like, this is what I'm going to do. I don't care what you think. Shut up. Not going to listen anyway. Can I leave because I'm bored? Mm. Just that, do, that, how do you always say it? Do not, then the acronym of that, the D-N-G-A-F attitude. 
Yes, and that's exactly. kind of what that that. Um, sorry about that. that slips the mind. What that charisma is, you do not care because you're awesome anyway. And as long as you think you're awesome, you're doing fine. Mm, mm. And you express that in your clothing, in your body language, in your gaze, and in your speech. Yes, yes, absolutely. It, it, it emanates from every pore. I think essentially is what yes. we are is what we are saying. Now, it's interesting that the term charisma itself, the the root of the term is it comes from a Greek word, which is, I believe, kairos or kaios or or, or or something akin to that, and. It refers to an almost mystical quality, an almost religious quality, that the a divine quality that the carrier has. Now, of course, fast forward to 2021, and we refer to charisma. We talk about like some bloke who's been on a reality TV show, you know. So, so it's been sort of like um, the bar's been lowered a little bit. But nevertheless, um, Robert Greene does make the point in this book that there's still this inexplicable sense of charisma, isn't there? There's still this sort of um, in F, hard to pin down aspect to it. And we almost believe that people who are charismatic have this magical quality about them, which of course we they don't, because actually the, the important thing about this is that you can learn this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and if you read this chapter, that's a good way to, to get you on the road to, to learning about this stuff. The other thing is to take my charisma course, but that's another story. Which is but, good. I, I vouch for that, by the way. I vouch for that. No, thank you, Jack. Thanks. Um, it's not open at the moment anyway, guys, sorry. But um, yeah, you, you need to learn the skills of charisma and they can be learned. But there is this, this sense of magic about it. There's this sense of otherworldliness about these people that are charismatic. And I know why, I think. Mm. And he mentions it in the introduction. Charismatic people radiate a sort of calmness that other people don't have. A lot of people are stressed out. They're worried. They don't know what to do with their lives. They don't know when the next paycheck is going to come. But charismatics are just at ease with themselves. They, mm. they know everything is going to be fine. I've got it covered. I've got it handled. I'm going to take care of it. And that, that relaxed outlook on life and that confidence with it is something a lot of people don't have. Mm. I mean, that's mm. why self-development is so popular these days. But when you have someone who radiates that, it just hypnotizes people in a certain sense. It gets their attention. It's like, how the hell is he so confident? Like, yeah. what, what does he has going on in his life that's so awesome? You know who I just thought of, by the way, as a good charismatic? Do you watch Peaky Blinders? Oh, mate, I'm really sorry. I actually don't. I know I, everyone goes on about it, but... Uh, Stereotypical I know. English. I know, I know. But, but Thomas Shelby in that series, mm. he's a good example of a charismatic. He's He can be blunt when he needs to, but he can be soft when he needs to as well. And just when he walks in, they know, okay, yeah, it's handled. Mm. It's done. Mm. Or it's mm. going to get handled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I do need to watch that because a lot of people recommended that uh, to me. But I mean, you know, Green, he talks about anybody who who has presence, who attracts attention when he enters the room is said to uh, possess charisma. Um, but even these less exalted types, you know, the reality TV star, the bloke who's on TV, whatever, um, even these these types still have this a trace of the quality suggested by the word's original meaning. Their charisma is mysterious and inexplicable, never obvious. They have an unusual confidence, a gift 
often a smoothness with language that makes them stand out from the crowd. They express a vision. Okay. All of this stuff, really, really powerful. And I have to say, there's just so much in this chapter. We're not going to have time to go through everything. It's just, it's so rich with detail, isn't it? It is. Charisma on a mass scale, seduction on a mass scale via charisma. It, it, read it. Just read it. Mm -hmm. Just the the internalization of charisma can get you a long way in life. Mm, mm, absolutely. Well, so then he goes to break it down a bit and he gives us a few pointers about what charisma is actually composed of. And these things, I talk about these things when we do Charisma and Dating Academy, because I think this is this is really bang on. This is really fantastic. So he goes through a few of these different things. The first one is purpose. And basically with that, he says, if people believe you have a plan, that you know where they you are going, they will follow you instinctively. And then he, he goes into some examples. I think with that, it's a little bit like what you're talking about with Peaky Blinders, isn't it? In the sense that if you've got somebody who's, he walks into the room, he's got it handled. That That's that aspect of it, right? Yeah, I know where I'm going. You're coming with me or you're not. I don't care. I'm going. I know mm. what I'm doing. Mm. Mm. Stop mm. worrying. I've got it handled. Exactly. Let's go. Exactly. And then the next one is mystery. And he says, mystery lies at charisma's heart, but it's a particular kind of mystery, a mystery expressed by contradictions. And again, you know, it's again, it's it's, it's always the same. It comes back to the same sort of these same notes, you know, this note of duality, this note of contradiction um, that he that he expresses here. And I, I've always said, I think mystery is very, very important um, in a romantic context, you know, particularly at the beginning. I think, and I, I think both sexes do this. I think women do this, and I think men do this as well. And it's, I think, it's very important because, well, you know, um, unfortunately, as time goes on, and uh, familiarity breeds contempt, as they say. So, so at the beginning, you really want to ensure that you've got that hint of mystery about you. Mm -hmm. No, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I was thinking of a couple of, of examples, but have you, have you ever had a girl tell you, like, I didn't imagine you could be this kind? Um, or some something like that. Uh, perhaps yes, because I think they felt at the beginning that I was a different kind of a character, and then mm. you know we got together, and um, they realized actually that 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 I was actually you know I ha I had all these other qualities about me as well, which were equally fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how negative, they are fantastic, fantastic. Mm. Mm. No, but kind of like that. You don't express everything just yet, especially well in dating. People need to earn that. People need to earn the softer side. But like I, I tend to like scowl a lot. Like my, I have a bit of a resting bitch face. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I'm actually I can be quite a nice guy. Actually, I'm very polite. Really? Yeah, I'm actually very polite. But <laughs> people are are surprised with that. Like I, I thought you were kind of a. I thought you fucked me up. I'm like, no, why, why should I? Like, I just look very angry, but I'm actually not. Yeah. And I've had this with girls too. Like, and uh, kind of, how did that go again? Where it was like, I was just being nice. No, I mean, you tend to do that. Like, you've had yours, you, you kind of aftercare, if you want to call it. And they're like, I didn't expect you could be this soft. I'm like, well, don't push it because. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Ripley says, Ripley says, sorry, I'm late. It's it's quite all right. It's quite all right. Sit at the back of the class, be quiet, open your book, and... Yeah. Uh, Behave. Be exactly, exactly. But it's fine. Don't worry. Yeah. But it's because of that leader role you have embraced, and then you let it down a bit. 
Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I say, I think both sexes do this. I think women also do this. You know, you'll often meet a woman. I mean, I think about, you know, even even like my girlfriend. I don't know if she's watching. Hello. Um, Hi. but you know, but but you know, at the beginning, um, there's a certain there are certain barriers up, right? And then over time, the barriers come down as you get to know one another better, as the relationship deepens. And you can show, like you say, that softer side. You can show these different qualities that you have. But at the beginning, you don't want to give away the farm at the beginning. I think that's the point. Yeah, that's what we talked about yesterday. Mm, mm, exactly. And it's a really, really important thing. And I think guys forget this. Um, the next one is saintliness. Um, yeah, mystery. The next one is saintliness. Now, I always, I'm always at pains to say this doesn't mean that you have to literally be a saint. But what he's talking about here is that he says most of us compromise constantly to survive through in life. Saints do not. They live out their ideals without caring about the consequences. The saintly effect uh, bestows charisma. And then later he says the key is you must have some deeply held values. It can't be faked, at least not without risking accusations of charlatanery. Um and the next step is simply to show that you live what you believe. So we're not talking about saintliness in some deeply moral sense here. We're talking about saintliness in the sense of um, fervency. Well, actually, fervency is one he talks about later. But but just really believing in something and, and just living out that life and not deviating from it. Mm. You won't compromise your ideals. Mm. Mm. That's how I uh, interpreted that. Yeah. Like, I want this. I'm going for this. That's that's what's on the table. And if you don't like it, well, then no deal. Mm, mm, mm. Exactly, exactly. And again, this reflects back to things that we've discussed already in, in going through the other chapters. Um, then eloquence. And he says a charismatic often relies on the power of words, that verbal bamboozling, that ability to manipulate language, to use language in a colorful and eloquent manner in, in, in order to beguile the people that you are dealing with. I think that's very important. And it's something that you become better at with practice. I don't know that there's some people are naturally gifted with it. Other people you need to practice a bit. I don't know that there's any easy way around this, is there? Would you say, Jack? No, there isn't. There really isn't. He names uh, George Washington and Lenin, but those I wouldn't. And maybe I'm biased. Yeah, I'm. I'm very biased. I wouldn't categorize Lenin in that, but Lenin was very much. Um, oh no, sorry about that. That's more on the uh, saint saintliness side of mm. it. My bad. But, well, maybe I should digress a bit more. But oh, I digress. Never mind. Never mind. Lenin was about being convinced, very convinced by his ideals. But, like, the eloquence with words, well, he kind of had to be that as well because you had to be persuasive. It's marketing, so to say. Like, yeah. What, what you're saying needs to be sold. And John from MLD said this once. Dating is almost like sales. Mm, mm, absolutely. You need, you need to be good in that with words well i think there's a very long tradition as well of the silver-tongued seducer let's say who is able to speak beautifully and poetically to the woman that he is seeking to be intimate with and he influences her with the poetry of his language and we get this in shakespeare i've just read all of shakespeare i'm in the process of kind of finishing up reading all of shakespeare and you get this all the time that all these beautiful speeches this fantastic poetry etc etc and it's all about wooing you know um these these different women and he uses these wonderful extended metaphors and these beautiful similes and uh, you know these flights of fancy and, and wonder in order to sort of 
win the you know the characters to win the women that they they wanted to get within the plays. Um, so there's a very long tradition of this. And again, people are talking about Russell Brand. Russell Brand was very like this as well. Russell Brand is like very eloquent, able to just speak at length, to really use language almost like a musical instrument. Absolutely. Are you re reading the old English versions or are they translated into modern English? No, no, I'm no all of the original trend all of the original texts. Um because the thing with uh, Shakespeare is quite is difficult in some ways. Perhaps being English uh, you are somewhat advantaged. I don't know what it's like for foreign readers. I suppose as being English you're somewhat advantaged, but still he's using very old some very old-fashioned words that we don't use anymore. His constructions are old-fashioned and, and everything else. But I find after a while that you you kind of click into it and you kind of just know what he's saying. And sometimes I can go for a whole, you know, pages and pages and pages and not have to look anything up. And then other, other texts of his are a little bit more tricky for some reason. I find I have to look up more things in the back. But no, I'm just I'm reading the originals because I, I think it's important to uh, take it neat, as it were. You know, I don't no. want any... I don't want I any. It. I don't want any lemonade in that vodka. No, I know what you mean. You want to mm. read it in the original language. Yeah. That's why most of the reading I did was in English, because Dutch translations it just doesn't always get the message across. It's like, nah, I want the original language. I want the original. No, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and. Uh, what is hip hop talking there about about Russell Brand? Um, Ian says, "Do you think reading more makes you a better verbal bamboozler?" I mean, I think it's got to, right? I really, I, I think it's definitely got to. I mean, the the greater vocabulary you have, I mean, the thing about vocabulary is though you don't necessarily want to be using long words that nobody understands because that's just going to make you look like a, a that'll trigger. get them moist. Yeah, well, I mean, some some people will be into that. Many many won't. Um, but yeah, I think the more that you read, the better. I mean, I, I've always been a reader anyway, not for this purpose, but just because that's what I'm into. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I think listening to audiobooks and things helps as well. Maybe even podcasts. Yes, yes, very true. Very so true. so so you don't have to just you, you can you can read, but via audio as opposed to you know. Mm -hmm. I, I do a bit of both. I, I'm re I read you know in the morning. I read whatever book I'm reading. But then I'll I'll also probably have a, an audio book or two on the go at the same time. So I'm trying to take stuff in as much as I can. Yeah, same here. Though mm. audio books I haven't done in a while. Listening to podcasts mostly, mm. but then um, not necessarily conversations between two people, but actually deep topics. I like to listen to one guy talk about that topic. And with books, well, I'm reading Rolo's new book now. It's yes, pretty, pretty damn good. Actually, mm, mm, yeah, yeah, I'm reading that as well. Yeah, but after that, I want to go maybe a bit more deeper into other psychological stuff, maybe literature again. I've read a couple of Dostoevsky, which surprisingly were weren't that hard to read. They're actually pretty fluent. I'm thinking about doing all of Dostoevsky. I mean, I've read uh, Crime and Punishment. So I've read the I've read the Gambler. I've read Notes from Underground, which is fantastic. Um, I've read you know quite a few of them. But I'm thinking about about doing. I'm I'm, I'm kind of into this idea at the moment of reading everything that a, an author wrote. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing Shakespeare. I may do Orwell. I mean, I've read obviously all of the big ones, the the big stuff that Orwell's written. And even things like Keep the Aspidistra Flying, which is a lesser-known novel of his. I've obviously read 1984, Animal Farm. I've read all of the essays when I was a kid. But I'm thinking about just, just doing a completist job on him as well. 
who else have you got? Um, Nietzsche. 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 Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm thinking about doing doing that and having these little challenges of reading the entirety of somebody's work because I'm a little bit sort of like completist like that. Mm. So, in all honesty, I tried reading Beyond Good and Evil by Nietzsche, but I felt like a complete dumbass. Where I was like, oh. I've read a few of them. I've read a few of them. I mean, I'm going to give it another go. You know, uh, Ernst Graf is a big fan. Really? Yeah, he is. Yeah. And he gave me a list of the ones that he likes. And actually, I'm not even sure Good and Evil's on there. He gave me a list of ones that you wouldn't necessarily think of. And he said, these ones are really good. So I'm going to give that a go. Um, But anyway, we digress. So um, what else does he say? So the next Theatrically. We were theatrically. Theatricality. And again, John MLD. This is the that's an example I use theatricality, but of course also Russell Brand and then any number of other people like uh, Robbie Williams. I mean, he talks about Elvis in here actually. Uh, mm. It's really interesting about Elvis, but yeah, theatricality. But I think it's and then he has uninhibitedness, and I think the two really go hand in hand. It's a bit like are you when you walk into the party, are you standing in the corner like oh yeah, you know, well my four hundred one k, or are you when it's are you are you able to and you know, go out there and talk and sort of make big gestures and be funny and blah, blah, blah. Um, can you turn it on? Um, and, and uninhibitedness, I think, also relates to some degree to to being uninhibited in terms of your desires. You know, if you are very, we talked again about this yesterday, didn't we? If you're very sort of like closed in, in terms of your desire, in terms of your sexuality, um that's not going to play particularly well. Whereas if you're sort of open about it, even uninhibited about it, um, that could be very attractive. And, and again, he cites Elvis Presley, who he says was obviously a theatrical person because he was a singer in, appearing in front of crowds, but also a sort of very sexual character. And that was really what drove the audiences wild because they sensed this thing in him and it sort of unlocks something within their own repressed desires. Mm. And that's... Mm, often the thing what makes these people so attractive, they do something other people feel restricted towards. Yes. I'd love to do that, but I can't, and he does it. Mm, 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 exactly. And you see this, it's not necessarily about status, because you see, if you go out in London and you see like the street performers and people doing breakdancing in the street and stuff like that, they've always got crowds of girls around them watching um, mm. and taking pictures and recording videos and things. And I think... I heard this expressed by somebody else once. Maybe it was Owen Cook or somebody, but he was saying, we love to look at that person who just lets loose. You know, if somebody somebody in a social situation and they just let loose, like say they start singing or something, or I don't know, they'd start telling an amazing story or whatever. And we're all drawn to them because we want that social freedom ourselves. You know, we wish we could be as uninhibited as them. And They're so, bounded by the change of society, so to say. Yes. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, so we got that. Then, he, then we got fervency, which again is about believing strongly in something and believing in it deeply and pushing forwards. You know, being on your mission, I suppose. You know, that kind of an idea. And mm -hmm. then he talks about vulnerability. And again, we touched on this yesterday. How many times have I said again in this show? Probably a million. But again, we touched on this vulnerability aspect yesterday, and we were sort of saying, look, I mean, you don't want to lead with it. But at the same time, if you are like a Robbie Williams type character or even Russell Brand, you know, they would share things which were deeply personal, deeply painful at mm. times. And that just drew people to them even more. But you, you kind of want to have that 
you want to have that alpha aspect to you as well before you start doing that, right? You don't want to be red pill meathead all the time. Yes. It's kind yes. of way a good way of phrasing it. Mm, mm, true, true. Next one is adventurousness. Kind of stands to reason, but if you're adventurous, you're a bit of a risk taker, you're not conventional, those things, great, you know, big turn on, big plus points for that. And magnetism, and, and really with magnetism, he seems to be talking about eyes as much as anything, and eye contact and using that to draw people into you, which I think is very important as well. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. You you pull people towards you because you've got extravagant characters who push people away, but you also have the extravagant people who pull them towards them. It's like, hey, you're genuinely interested in this. Like, what is this? What is he doing? This is, this fascinates me. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and then he goes on and gives some examples. He talks about Joan of Arc and, and, and things. And, and the only thing that I pulled out of the Joan of Arc example was he sort of talks about her storytelling in a way because he says she has these really intense visions, but she could describe them in such detail that they had to be real. Now, I was doing a, a little storytelling workshop with some guys on my Patreon, subscribe below, uh, the other day. And we were talking about storytelling. And the, the guys came out with some great stories. But I was always saying, like, just add more details. Because the more detail you can bring to bear, the better the story is going to be. And putting aside the fact she's talking about her visions, I think what Joan of Arc, I think what it's, it's talking about here is she was able to beguile people with her storytelling. And that is an amazing skill for almost any social situation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, goes back to game. That's mystery method, even. Even Roosh talked about that, rambling, being able to get people verbally interested in you or interested in you verbally. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and then what else do we have here? Um, there's, a, there's a quote somewhere. It gets into some really deep stuff, which you really have to sit back and kind of think about. Um, he talks about Elvis Presley letting his demons loose. And um, really sort of um, the key, he says a group has a sort of unique energy just below the surface is desire, a constant sexual excitement that has to be repressed because it's socially unacceptable. If you have the ability to rouse those desires, the crowd will see you as, as having charisma. The key is learning to access your own unconscious, as Elvis did when he let go. I mean, some of this stuff is, is, is pretty deep, to be honest. And I think really... You need to read it and, and and sort of really think about it and think how you can utilize this in your own, the way you present yourself. But I think he's getting at some really interesting stuff here about how, it, well, in this case, performers act almost like as a lightning rod for the audience to uncover their own subconscious and their own inner desires. And I think the reason that we go nuts for some of these, the bigger names is because they do that, they do that very successfully. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love how he goes into Rasputin as well, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when about... you see Rasputin, you're like, how, what? Like, what? How the... Yes. But then he, go, then he describes it, like, what Rasputin did and what Rasputin was. And then you're actually like, hey, that's actually... Rasputin I understand. Game. It's understandable how but Rasputin yeah. got that far. Rasputin game. But again, what he's talking about is really when it comes down to it being authentic because he's saying most of us are a mix of the devil and the saint the noble and the ignoble and we spend our lives trying to repress the dark side few of us could give rein to both sides as rasputin did mm -hmm. <laughs> um, um uh, 
But, but of course, Rasputin, I mean, you know, he was incredibly charismatic in the sense that he finagled his way into the court in Russia. I mean, how would you do that? You were some bloke from some dead end town. And then you became at the very center of the, the you know, high society. I mean, incredible, really. Um, but what it's saying here is that um, be genuine. What attracts us to animals, beautiful and cruel, they have no self-doubt. The quality is doubly fascinating. Outwardly, people may condemn your dark side, but it is not virtue that creates charisma. Anything extraordinary will do. And this, I think, it gets to the heart of why we love villains so much. Yeah. And why we why we're fascinated with these you know dark characters in movies and so on. Correct. It's even the longest chapter in the book. I know. I know. It goes I on for ages. Notice. I'm like, wow. It goes on for ages, and my dog bite's not um not going to heal itself. But um, <laughs> but let's uh j j coming up. I mean, he then talks about Lenin, and we've sort of touched on that already. Um. He he refers again to mystery. He says there could be no prestige without mystery which I think mm -hmm. is really true. He talks about aloofness, telling you to be somewhat aloof, somewhat removed. So you can have all of these qualities, but at the same time, you don't want to be too accessible. You know, you want to be slightly separate. And again, I, I mean, I, I would cite rock stars as being like this. Somebody like Morrissey that I was talking about before. I think Morrissey was an example of a, a character who, as a singer, um, in some way embodied some of the desires of the audience I got them riled up as a part of that, but equally he was very non-accessible as well. Okay, so you know, again, how do we, on a micro level, how do we tap into the same thing? And I believe that you can in a dating uh, environment. Um, I believe that you can demonstrate that you have this this sort of shadow side to you, if you like. Um, but equally. You can also be a bit standoffish. You're you're also not just up for grabs. You're not open to anybody who wants to come along. You're going to give them your time. You're not always accessible. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then what else does he talk about? He talks a bit about drama and religion. And again, I think bands tap into this. I mean, we're getting into some very highfalutin stuff here. And, and actually, I, I have to say, I think about this a lot, again, in terms of content creators. And by that, I include people like us, but also you know, proper stars and rock stars and movie stars and stuff like that. And when you look at bands, a lot of bands, a lot of very big bands will bring in religious imagery. And I think that that is, I mean, he talks a lot about religion in, in this section. And he says, look, the drama and religion, the two things that move people the most on that most fundamental level. And I think it's no coincidence that you have people like Madonna, you know, invoking Catholic imagery and stuff like that in her earlier videos because i think it, it just it, it, it touches something i mean i'm i'm not a religious person uh, per se but it just touches something very deeply in a mass of people that's incredibly powerful it does it's you're offering people well you're a sh sh how do i say that it's sheep searching for a shepherd and you are filling in the place of shepherd in and I, yeah true and i hate to say it but he also talks in here a little bit about the in that in this chapter rather about the occult and about mysticism and things like this. And as much as I hate to say it, I think the reason that somebody like Mr. Stedman, Pat Stedman, has has you know, if you look at his um, periscopes, he's been getting some really really big views on those periscopes recently. And by the way, for people who don't know, this is a guy who started talking a lot about um, 
well, really conspiracy theories around the election and so on, but with a sort of a, a sort of a spiritual tincture to it, where he's also saying, you know, this is God's plan, and um, there's almost this mystical element to it. He brings in bits of astrology, which I'm, you know, I'm just that's completely lost me immediately. But he brings in bits of astrology and sort of like this this quasi mystical stuff to it, and you know, we could all have a laugh about that. But there's a lot of people lapping this stuff up, and there's bigger content creators than him that do the same thing. And I think it speaks to this real human, fundamental human need in, in many people to look for something beyond, you know, to look for that spirituality, right? Yeah, and, I agree. You know, and, 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 and like as much as he's a, he's a bit of a chump, I mean, you know, some of those periscopes he's doing, he's getting a lot of views on them. And it, it's, it's kind of incredible when you're in a space where you think people are being very rational, you know, guys are rational males. But but no, people love it, and and there's there's a great quote in here which I probably won't be able to find uh, now. But Robert Green talks about this, and he says, you know, um, it might be Freud actually, but it's something it's something like it's something like people don't want too much reality; that they want the illusion. You and, know? Oh yeah, I one hundred percent understand what you mean. But there was one quote that I saved for this show in particular. And it has to do with and the charismatic and the charmer. And it's a quote in the book that says, never whine, never complain, never try to justify yourself. Yes. And that yes. is actually a, a, that is great social advice when it comes to game, when it comes to friendships, work situation, you name it. Uh, as you just mentioned with the occult stuff and Stedman and whatever, I don't hear Petman, Stedman, complaining about his life either that much he just keeps going keeps going like no matter what happens no this is the plan this is the plan uh trump is going to be inaugurated uh next week but lizard people just uh hold on just watch it's gonna happen and uh rose is perfect with ice it's perfect it's like, mm -hmm. so so what are you saying are you saying that there's something admirable about uh, about that in some way i have always been of the opinion look at your enemies and look at why they come that far. I, I, I mean, look, I have to say, I, I think that the stuff that he's putting out there is misguided because essentially, oh, yeah, it's, it's, essentially, it. it's, essentially he's talking like QAnon stuff. And I think that that's just caused a, a whole world of trouble, which we've seen over the last few weeks. Ha having said that, as a content creator, as much as I find him annoying, mm. um, he, 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 he taps into something. He does tap into something. And um, and and I think that this route that he's taken, where he's going into this somewhat more mystical sort of presentation, I mean, I, you know, I can't help feeling it's a load of woo-woo nonsense. Although, you know, I've I've got some spiritual sides to me as well. But the, the way he's taking it, I'm a bit like Jesus, you know. But people buy into it, and I think that there's an element, as much as I hate to say, it, I think there's an element of him in in this. There is, there is, and again, I really do not agree with him. Far well, from it. I was quite glad because he's he's sort of climbed down a little bit now since the election. He sort of said, oh, "Okay, well, obviously, you know, yeah, the, the twist is over." Well, he's, over. you know, and he's just like, "Well, you know, it's what's happened has happened," and, and he's sort of sort of finishing up saying, "Look, I'm probably going to take a bit of time, spend a bit of time reading, a bit more time lifting, you know, kind of out and out in nature, meditating and stuff." And I was like, "Yes, well, good, but you should have just done that in the first place mm. instead of you know <laughs> instead of telling loads of people to bet money on 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 a on a president." But I mean. Anyway, he has a wife and kid, and as I told my friend who is on Twitter too much, ride your wife to glory and love your kids and get off Twitter. 
<laughs> That's exactly. what I would be doing. I mean, I'm I'm very honest, Troy, man. If I had a steady girlfriend right now, I'd be riding that to glory and be off Twitter with all the insanity going on. It's like, mm. nope, I've got better things to do. I've got way better things to do. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'll just do this quote quickly, and then I'm going to have to go. Um, this is from Freud, and he says, the masses have never thirsted after much. They demand, uh, sorry, the masses have never thirsted after truth. They demand illusions, and they cannot do without them. They constantly give what is unreal precedence over what is real. They are almost as strongly influenced by what is untrue as by what is true. They have an evident tendency not to distinguish between the two. And that is Sigmund Freud from, uh, well, his complete psychological works. I'm not sure exactly which book, but um, and, and that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? You know, um, and, and of course, we're going way beyond dating here to, to, to sort of influence on a wider scale. But, you know, the truth of the matter is we think we live in this really rational age. We think we're sort of like it's all about science and, and everything else. And um, it really kind of isn't. No. If you want to influence a lot of people, it really isn't. No, no, absolutely. One hundred percent. I mean, even science can be bought these days. So who can you trust? And that's why this book is so important. Mm. Again, as I said yesterday, this book is a sword as much as it is a shield. Because you need to know when you're being seduced by somebody. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's it's both sides of the coin, for sure. For sure. And, you know, this... Yeah, carry on. If you're going to read one, one chapter of this entire book, go read the, charis uh, the Charismatic. Go read that. I mean, it's the longest chapter, but... It has the best details. Seriously. So there's so much in it, so much in it. And I mean, you could really, I think it's one of these things you need to just read it very carefully and kind of meditate on it and then read it again and, and, and really think about it and think about how you can use it in your own life and in your own presentation, whatever it is you're doing. Because there's there's a lot of stuff in there and it's very deep. You know, it's it not, it's, it's like the stuff about Elvis Presley and stuff, it really makes you think about human nature, about presentation, about charisma, about influence, power, all of these different things. Fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, with that being said, I've got to go and see a man about a dog. So um, <laughs> so um, where can they find you, Jack? Link um, to my channel is in the chat. Go over there. Hallelujah. Go to Jack's channel. Subscribe. Please do subscribe to this channel. Uh, give us a comment, give us a like, give us a thumbs up, help to tickle the algorithm, et cetera, et cetera. And that's it, really. Um, we will see you again. We'll be back doing some more of these next week, won't we? We will. So we'll be back next week. We'll see you then. Um, rule zero is on Saturday. I'm not sure when, what channel or the topic as yet, but um, but that will be going ahead in some form. Um, I'm also looking at doing an interview tomorrow at uh, 3 p.m. UK time, uh, where we, I'm going to be talking with Alex Forrest, who is a guy living in Warsaw, um, mm -hmm. who, who's uh, who's into the sort of dating uh, stuff. And But we're going to be talking a bit more about being a high-value man and taking action at times of global crisis, which obviously, you know, look around. So that <laughs> should be pretty cool. Um, and then Monday, Monday, if, it's, if all is well, I should have James Tusk live nice. from Mexico, live from Mexico. The, the Chad himself, James Tusk, out in the he, sun. He is pretty much a Chad. I love his rejection videos. And not because he's a Chad, but because he's so open about it. Yeah, and yeah. Some absolutely, are yeah. ruthless towards him. It's like, oof, <laughs> my God. That was this 
girl from Israel, I believe. He's like, do you speak English? And all of a sudden she's like, what do you mean with that? Like complete assault mode. Oh, but he talks his way out of it. It's, it's brilliant. Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. Great guy. So anyway, hopefully we're going to have him live from Mexico on here uh, tomorrow at, uh, sorry, on Monday at 11.30 a.m. EST as well. And we'll be continuing with the um, the book club, uh, the Art of Seduction book club next week also. Lots to look forward to. Uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. Um, subscribe, all of that good stuff. Get on my email list because I'm doing... I'm, I'm sending out some articles about this stuff as well. And uh, we will see you guys again very soon. Bye-bye.